morning, beautiful people. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. I'm Babs Rolls Ivy. Welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. It's Wednesday and uh, another hot day in Elm, which is fine with me because it's summer. I want my summers to be hot. Not, not Texas hot, but just hot. And uh, I think we're in a high 80s, almost 90 degree weather yesterday, today. So, and I know people are feeling some kind of way. I know, I know, I know. You know, there's always something to complain about. I get it, but I like it. So I had a wonderful time at the beach yesterday. Uh, our good friend, Dory, has a has a, some uh, timeshare up in Westbrook. And so we hung out at the beach for the afternoon, which was such a decadent, lovely treat. Seriously, a decadent, lovely treat. I had a good time. You know, just to sit out at the ocean, stick your feet in the ocean, walk the sand. It was great. I enjoyed myself immensely. And it was just what the doctor ordered. You know why? Because I slept like a baby last night, hard and deep. You know how you, you, know how you get that good sleep out little kids? After they've been outside at the beach or in the sun for too long. And, you know, I'm an old lady, so I'm covered up. You know, I got a hat on. I got the umbrella out. So it's not like I'm, you know, exposed. But, I mean, you're at the beach. And so that sea air, uh, it's good. So <coughs> it's good, it's good, it's good. It's good. So I had a good time. It was nice. Uh, it was nice. It was very nice. Uh, and I love summer. So anyway, good morning. So I'm I'm cruise I'm cruising the uh, I'm cruising the uh, New Haven Independence site. Oh, you know the police chief has been here a year. Oh my God, it felt it felt like eight thousand years. <laughs> chief Chief Jacobson. Uh, so the city police have received nearly 12,000 more calls for service so far this year than at the same point in 2022. So to police chief Carl Jacobson, that number is one among many that shows that New Haven cops are getting better at what they do and winning more public trust along the way. How are you measuring, how are you, that's how you measuring that? I guess. So you believe that that people are calling the cops more because they feel like they trust cops and y'all have built trust with the community? That's one way to look at that. I'll have to read the full story. This is just the front page. And I'll talk about it maybe tomorrow or at the break if I get a chance to read it. I don't know. So that's one story. There's another story. Union Station clears out. So I, I, I guess homeless people have been taking up residence in Union Station. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this because I, I, I rarely get on the train. So, so I don't know what's happening. And, and not because I don't enjoy the train. I enjoy the train. I just not had any opportunities to get on the train to go to New York so, uh, or go anywhere. So the city's non-cop non crisis response crew pulled up to Union Station Monday night to assist a 78-year-old 78, 78 man into a van headed towards 
a newly opened homeless shelter shelter in the in the hill. How do you 78 years old and you're homeless? At the same time, at least six others watch from a nearby stretch of sidewalk where they prepared to spend the night, all while state and local leadership sought to crack down against a growing number of individuals without housing, seeking refuge at the transit hub. Well, I mean, you know, uh, the train station has bathrooms, um, there's vending machines, and when they're open, things are open. So if you panhandle enough, you could get up enough money to get a sandwich or something to drink. Um, you can sit on the bench all day. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and then there's a, a, a public bathroom. I mean, if, if I was on the streets, I'd probably go there too. That would make sense. So there you go. Uh, so that's one story. 78 years old, homeless though. Golly. There's a, there's a story with this man. I mean, we all have stories, there's stories, but there must be some, there must be some story. You don't have family or your family won't take you in, you know, I mean, unless you have just a family that's just un, you know, just mean and don't want you, or maybe he burnt enough bridges where they were like, we just can't. I don't, I don't know. I, it just seems to me if you're 78 and you're living on the streets, like, how long have you been doing that? Somewhere the system has failed you. I don't know. That's another story to read up on the New Haven Independent. It's called Union Station Clears Out, and it's done by Nora Grace Flood. So uh, check it out. Check it out. Is, no is Nora back? Is she back? I thought she was in uh, Spain. For the summer. Oh, Lord. Don't tell me them goats ran her out. <laughs> Did the goats run her out? Okay. Elliker leads pack in the uh, quarter two fundraising. Mayor Justin Elliker out fundraises Democratic primary rivals by 14,000 and 38,000 in individual contributions to spring and still has over 181,000 left in the bank according to the latest mayoral race mayoral race campaign finance filings. So, I mean, he's got a little war chest. Because, you know, folks want to see him be mayor again, I guess. Or, you know, of the 8,000 people that actually voted, a handful of them, I guess, is funding this campaign. Uh, equity, justice, and liberation. Uh, this is a Lucy Gelman. Uh, post from the arts uh, paper. Imagine at CEIO's second annual ceiling consciousness co-creation cohort. Okay, equity, justice, and liberation. So uh, I'm glad somebody's still focused on equity, justice, and liberation. So go and read that story. Uh, confusing hodgepodge, Florida's driver's license policy could impact 61,000 undocumented Connecticut residents. Florida, I, I just don't know what they're into. I mean, I know what they're into. How long can they sustain this level of hatred for everybody? How long can they sustain it? That can't be good for Florida. But you know, your leadership, the Floridian leadership is what's driving this. I'm like, do you need votes that bad that you would just be inhumane? I, I, 
I don't I don't know what to make of that. I, I don't I really don't know what to make of it. Uh a 19-year-old was found dead in the school parking lot on Sunday morning after a parent drug overdose near Career High on Legion Avenue. That is very, very young. You 19 doing drugs like that? What is happening? 19, suffer from a suspected drug overdose. Um, they found no suspicious marks or issues upon the initial uh, examination. So, uh, so the best of their knowledge, the person found dead in career parking lot on Sunday was not affiliated with the school. Okay, well, he's 19. Uh, so, uh, and there were no summer school programs taking place in the school at that time because it was Sunday. Because, you know, people are stupid. There's, there's no, there's nothing going on in schools on Sundays. God forbid. It's painful. So some parents, some family got this news Sunday that their child overdosed, died. Ugh, 19 is very young. Very, very young. Very, very young. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. Let there be uh, Lux. Yale's new online platform allows anyone to search the university's vast collection of books, art, and artifacts spread across its museums, archives, and library. Okay. I guess that's a good idea. Is that a good idea? Oh yeah, I mean, bring the, bring information and knowledge to the people. That makes sense. I like that. I'm gonna go check it out. So, uh, my my soror and author, uh, Victoria Christopher Murray, will be at R.J. Julia this evening. Um, working on another well, she just finished up another book with her co-author you know they did that first book of a historical nature and now they are doing uh they just finished up a second book and this one centers um uh mary mcleod bethune who as you know graduated from barbara scotia college and i believe they make reference i hope she makes reference in the book because that's my alma mater and I would love to sort of, uh, and I remember when Victoria was working on this and I had said to her, um, you know, she went to Barbara Scotia College. She's like, I know, and you went there too. <laughs> so, so yes, this is my, all, this is, uh, this is, uh, and I, I have, I, and uh, the tonight, the um, the talk you get when you, come you pay for the book i bought the book so uh i'm very uh i'm very excited about that and uh she's here and i and, and thank you karen debose walton because i would have not seen it i just not have seen it you know and i'm on the rj julia um mailing list so i don't know why i didn't see this i don't know 
can see this. Um, but anyway, uh, she's going to be here at RJ Julian Madison, and uh, I'm going to go and see her. Me and uh, Karen and Ife, I think Ife might be coming, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna go support her. And um, she's got a fan base, so I'm not worried about that. And you know, she's a soror, so so I can't not miss her. You know, she's so close, and she's got a bunch of books out. You know, so the personal librarian was the was the book that she worked on with uh, Marie Benedict. And, uh, you know, it's a historical story about the woman who, uh, I guess, passed as white working for uh, the Rockefellers, I think. Bella DeCosta Green, uh, early, mid 20th century. She was famous and celebrated in the international world of fine art and rare books. So, uh, so she was the personal librarian for J.P. Morgan. So she is credited with doing some really cool stuff on behalf of that family. So, so anyway, the personal librarian tells the story of an extraordinary woman famous for her intellect, style, and wit and shares the lens she must go to for the protection of her family and her legacy to preserve her carefully crafted white identity in the racist world in which she lives. So that's that's the first book. Um, and I have it, which I probably should dig it up and bring it so she can sign it too. Um, and then the new book, uh, is the I think it's, I don't know what it's called, because all these don't have it up. Ugh. So anyway, she has a bunch of books, you know, tons. And I've read a bunch of her books, so I enjoy her. And some of those books got turned into, you know, uh, movies, TV movies. So, so you, 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 you can see them. You can get them. Uh, it's an easy, easy find. Just Google whatever, whatever your browser is, your search engine is. Uh, just go. And uh, yeah, so so this newest book um, takes place. Uh, let's see. Let me pull this one up because I want I want you all to. So she so she and Marie Benedict get together again. And they write another book, The First Ladies, a novel, of course. And so it's the daughter of a formerly enslaved parents. The daughter of formerly enslaved parents, Mary McLeod Bethune, refuses to back down as white supremacist attempt to thwart her work. And she marches on as an uh, activist and an educator and as a and has a reputation. As her reputation grows, she becomes a celebrity revered by titans of business and recognized by U.S. presidents. Eleanor Roosevelt herself is awestruck and eager to make her acquaintance, initially drawn together because of the shared belief in women's rights and the power of education. Mary and Eleanor uh, become fast friends, confiding their secrets, hopes, and dreams, and holding each other's hands through tragedy and triumph. 
So, uh, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt is elected president, the two women begin to collaborate more closely, particularly as Eleanor moves toward her own agenda, separate from FDR, a consequence of the devastating discovery of her husband's secret love affair. Eleanor becomes a controversial first lady for her outspokenness, particularly on civil rights. And when she receives threats because of her strong ties to Mary, it only fuels the woman's desire, the women's desire to fight together for justice and equality. This is the story of two different yet equally formidable, passionate and committed women and the way in which their singular friendship helped form the foundation for the modern civil rights movement. So Marie Benedict is a, a lawyer with more than 10 years experience as a litigator, a graduate of Boston College and the Boston University School of Law. She is a New York Times and USA uh, Today bestselling author, Her Hidden Genius, The Mystery of Mrs. Christie, The Only Woman in the Room, Carnegie, Carnegie's Maid, Carnegie's Maid, The Other Einstein, and Lady Clementine. And she lives in Pittsburgh with her family. Victoria Christopher Murray is one of the country's top Black contemporary authors with more than one million books in print. She has written more than 20 novels, including Seven Deadly Sin series and Stand Your Ground, a library journal best book of the year, uh, best book of the year. And she holds an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. So, so anyway, if you, if you, if you uh, go to rjjulia.com, you can uh, purchase a mission and with with that purchase you get to get in and you get uh, a copy of the book so that's pretty cool so i'm going to be there tonight <laughs> i'll be there tonight uh, uh listening to this how they came to be in their story and and i've had victoria on my show i probably should try to make room to have her back on again you know because she's so uh she's so she's so dynamic and she's been such a good friend to me. And she's been pushing me to write my memoir since I've known her for like a decade. And, you know, I'm resistant. <laughs> and I probably if I written my men memoirs, I probably could have gotten out of all kinds of debt. <laughs> but I just can't bring myself to do it. I just don't see the point of it. For me, for me, I don't see the, not, to, no, and now let me, let me clean this up. The point of memoir is good because you get to tell your story about your life. And I appreciate that. But I just feel like I'm still living, and I don't still got more living to do. So I don't want to. I don't want to because I'm not coming back to tell this anymore. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm just talking. <laughs> I say all that to say I'm not writing a memoir. I was keen on the idea a decade ago, you know. But now I'm like, eh, there's so many other good, so many good memoirs out there. I don't. I don't think I add anything to the to the sea of memoirs. I know I have a compelling story. It's almost unbelievable. It's, it's ridiculous on a lot of levels. Maybe that's why I can't write it because it would just it would just drag me back to foolishness. And I was like, you know, really, I have to go back, you know, think about how I felt about this and that and the other thing. And listen, I don't shy away from none of that. I don't. I talk about it when I'm asked to talk about it. But I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to put it in writing. Which, which, if you go to my blog, it's pretty much all there anyway. Anyway, that's the way of the world. So uh, hearts and prayers to the folks in Vermont who are dealing with all that, uh, that flooding. I contacted my, my friends who live in Vermont. They seem to be all right. 
so far. I need to reach out to uh, Emily Bernard. I think she's in Vermont. I think so. <laughs> uh, I think so. Huh, I have to go check. I think she's either Vermont or Maine. I, th I think. So, anyway. I gotta, I gotta check. Hmm. I think she's in, uh, yeah, she's in Vermont. So I didn't send her a text. Just like, I hope y'all are all right. You know what I mean? Shoot. I've got, I've got two sets of uh, friends in Vermont. And, uh, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to reach out right now. Um, yeah, because, you know, when you when you come from a place that uh, is not used to this kind of disaster, I mean, you know, we 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 pay attention and listen to what happens out to other states, particularly in the Midwest, because, you know, they get all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, we're not you know, we're used to stuff happening in California and all this. But Vermont in the Northeast, this kind of weather you know, has been a, a little unnerving and um, dramatic and destructive. So I'm just hoping people are okay, the people that I know. No. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, this, this is, this weather is ridiculous. I Listen, to you people out there who don't believe that the earth is warming and is changing, and and that doesn't mean, and I don't say that to say that the earth does this all the time. Like, of course the earth changes and shifts, but a lot of this stuff we are helping. That's the that's the point that I want to get across. That a lot of this uh we are helping. You know, like we're not being good stewards of this earth. You know. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, I'm just saying, so, uh, uh, it's going to be challenging when we have to absolutely start reckoning with this weather and the environment and our role in this of, of weather. <laughs> like we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to, uh, we're gonna have to come to some, some hard truths about this because we're gonna be up against the wall and we can't just push off. Uh, we're not gonna be able to push off talking about the weather as some freak phenomenon. Like we're gonna have to actually deal with uh, the weather um, and our role in how we are on this planet. Do you know what I mean? Like we're gonna have to deal with that. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to deal with that. And uh, Yes. 
So, uh, that's on all of us. That's on us. And we have to be better about that. And, and we're going to find ourselves up against the wall. And I, I just, I just feel like by the time we, um, by the time we, uh, reconcile this, uh, by the time we reconcile this, it might be too late. You know, it might be too late. And I listen, I have every faith. I know, um, I know there are scientists that are working on how to save us from ourselves at every moment of every day. <laughs> I know this. I know there are mad scientists all over the globe trying to figure out how to save us from ourselves. And uh, uh, <laughs> I just hope um, that it's not too late. And all the science deniers, and there are many, can uh, uh, get out their way and stay out their way and don't hinder their ability. And by hinder, I mean, don't quit funding for you know, how to save us, <laughs> you know, let them, let them do all the things that they need to do without, uh, without being hindered by other den uh, deniers. I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson speak the other, other night on, I don't know, one of the night shows he was talking about, I think he was talking to, uh, uh, the Canadian guy who's American now, um, on CBS. And uh, and uh, he was talking about um, how th this belief in God um, and, or non-belief in God um, and how th that can, I don't want to get this wrong, but I get the sense that, uh, you know, we fall back on the God thing and it prohibits us from moving forward with looking at what is actually in front of us. And uh, and I get it because he's a scientist and I'm of the mindset and I learned this from my minister, but I've always felt this way that, you know, you can believe in science and you can believe in God. They're not mutually exclusive. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I I, I get that there's a scientific story for origin I, I appreciate that. And I also like the biblical um, understanding of the origin stories, because there's two origin stories in the Bible. And I, 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 I can believe them both. Do you know what I mean? And I think science people, uh, uh, and I know there are some science people who who are like that, who believe in both, but there are a lot of science people who are like, Nope. I only believe in what I can explain scientifically. And I get that. I, I'm not even mad at people because at least that's rooted in something, not just crazy ignorance, stupid stuff. You know, I get that. Um, but I, I think there's, I think there's definitely room for us to consider and to contemplate and to discern 
that there is a higher power at work in the universe. Some will say it is the universe. Some will say someone had something, some being, some something had to create the universe and the universes and the universes, right? Because we're finding out that space is vast and deep and there are galaxies among galaxies and universes amongst universes. And I, I love it. You know, I was taking a, a, a quantum physics class at MIT during the pandemic because I, I like that kind of stuff. I have a, a bit of a science brain, not, not a lot, not a lot to make me go pursue nothing in science. But I do like the idea of, of wrestling in my mind with, with quantum physics. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I like think those hard kinds of things. I like them. And I like trying to sort of bring them into a, a level that makes uh, sense. So when I took that class, I really was like, Ooh, am I going to be able, <laughs> am I going to be able to hang? But I, I did. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I get this, you know. So I, I think, you know, the, the idea that um, quantum physics allows for particles to be in two states at the same time is fascinating to me. You know, just, it's just fascinating. So, and really it's just the study of matter and energy at the basic most fundamental level. So, um, and so, 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 so I can imagine that this kind of science would be appealing to theologians and people of faith, right? Because it really gets you in there to wrestle. And for me, it is about um, uh, you know the, the way energy is used, directed, discovered. Um, that 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 makes sense to me. And particularly if I put uh, a God consciousness lens, look through a God consciousness lens, um, I'm fascinated by this, you know, because because we're using we're using our our brains uh, in in just the way that uh, God has intended. That's that's why I'm fascinated. That is why I am fascinated that. Uh, that uh, we we get to use our brains in a way that uh, bespokes our ability to uh, solve problems and to and to make discoveries and to uh, to dwell in the wonder and really God consciousness is really the same thing. You dwell in the wonder of something that's slightly out of reach, but right there in your hands that's that's how i i i view it and so science to me more than anything else more than philosophy um more than um uh uh, uh more than just about anything speaks to that to the to the greater divinity of things for me i think science science speaks to that um because there's so much mystery that we stand in and discover 
and and want to move through. And the more the more that we move through the mystery, the more the mystery grows and becomes bigger. And then and then there's all kinds of streams of that mystery, you know. And and for me, that that is a God consciousness. You know, the 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 more you know self, the more self there is to know. And so you start following the threads of your life, your consciousness, your thinking, your behavior, all those things brings you to a place of mystery and wonder. And I think science doesn't, I think science is the same. It is the same. So I don't, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to not believe in God in order to, to be a scientist or to believe in science. Quantum physics says to me, you, to, you could believe in two things. <laughs> and, you know, that's a paradox, right? That's the definition of a paradox, which is fine. It's, there's nothing wrong with paradoxical thinking. I don't know why people that, you know, they want things to be black or white, but oh, there's so much that lingers in the gray, in the gray of things. There's so much that lingers. Now, yeah, there are some times when you just want clarity and you need stuff to be, <laughs> you need things to be black or white. And, it, and it's not that many things. Right, like there's not many. Like if you're driving down the road, a, a paved road, you want the paved road to continue to be paved. That's a black thing. That's concrete. You, that's it. You know, if you walk into a McDonald's, you expect to get McDonald's fries. That's a black and white thing. You don't expect to go to McDonald's and get a lobster roll. You expect to get at the very basic, a burger and some fries. Now, whatever else they sell, that's extra stuff. But at its core, you know McDonald's sells burgers, fries, and a drink. You're not going in there expecting uh, uh, a ribeye steak. Although, people go nuts for those McRibs. <laughs> and every so often, McDonald's brings them out for a limited time. And people get all beside themselves because they just love it. I think they're awful, but I, uh, that's just me. But people love them. So, so yeah. So, you know, and, and the drink is normally, when I was a kid, um, they were known for their milkshakes. When I could drink milk, I loved a McDonald's strawberry milkshake. Do they even, do they still make milkshakes? Because I know Wendy's had the Frosty the chocolate frosty. I like that too, but it wasn't a milkshake. You needed a real, I mean, if you had a straw, you'd have to suck your life out of you to get that stuff with a big straw. But a milkshake, it's got some movement. So I, my favorite thing at McDonald's, when I, when I could eat at McDonald's, uh, I loved a cheeseburger, a basic cheeseburger, French fries, and a strawberry milkshake. And then I fell in love with those fish sandwiches. I love a filet of fish, french fries, and a strawberry shake. That was my, those are my favorite things at McDonald's. Occasionally a Big Mac, but it just always seemed like a lot of messiness. A basic burger. Cause they, I just liked them. You know, they was beat down, smashed up. You know what I mean? They weren't, they were just burgers. So I liked that. 
I miss a strawberry milkshake. I honest to God, I miss a strawberry milkshake. You know, like a good one. Now there are vegan places that make them, but there are not enough vegan places that I could get to readily where I could get one. Do you know what I mean? You're like it's it's a it's a it's a destination if I want one. So anyway, this is this is far away from quantum physics and God consciousness. <laughs> But the point that I'm making, at its core, McDonald's serves a burger, fries, and a drink. That's that. Whatever else you go in here for, whatever they offer is whatever. Did you know that those McDonald's apple pies are vegan? Not by not not by consciousness, by accident. There's no dairy in them. And those things used to be. Remember how hot they used to be. I swear to God, those McDonald those McDonald apple pies would be so damn hot. Even when you broke it open, it took so long for it to cool off. Like those things would be sizzling. Like you could smack somebody and kill them with those hot ass apple pies. Do you remember those? I love the cherry ones, but they rarely had the cherry pie ones. Rarely. So you always had the apple pie. I love the apple pie. I, do they still sell them? I don't even know because I don't go into McDonald's because, you know, I have a severe dairy allergy. So there's nothing in there that I can eat. I used to get their fish sandwiches without the cheese. But, you know, they've been hard pressed to have fish sandwiches. I, somebody went there the other day and I said, like, oh, well, just get me a fish sandwich with no cheese. And they came I was like, oh, they don't have any fish. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, uh, I, can't, I can't eat in there. But I just want to, I just back to the quantum physics conversation. Um, it just it just spoke to me how uh, um, when we have these big conversations and and you know these are not conversations you can have with just about with anybody because I, you know I don't know about y'all but I too many people are just don't don't stretch their their intellectual ability enough for my taste. You know they they get stuck in a narrative that they were told. And, and then they start to feign, they see evidence of that narrative, which they don't, they've just been fed it. And, and so they don't challenge it, they just accept it. And, and it's hard to have conversations at the high intellectual level with people who are not ready to make the intellectual leap to go beyond what they think they know. So, so I don't have these conversations with just about anybody because it would just get on my nerves. And that's all right. And listen, I, I, I'm nobody. So so there's that part. I'm nobody. But I, I do like to have these conversations. And I and I love being, I, you know what I love when I when I when we're during the pandemic and I was on um, a, a work team, somebody, somebody invited me to the two two teams at Yale Hospital. And we it did everything on a Zoom because you know we couldn't gather in person. And so it was two teams. One, the primary team was how to how to be equitable about how they use the ventilators during COVID because people would show up. This was what was happening. Yale New, I mean, Yale New Haven Hospital was like the only one within a hundred mile radius that had these ventilators, right? So people who were sick were coming in from Greenwich and Westport and all these other places to get these ventilators. And, you know, of course they're, they're white people. Uh, and then black people would come in and they'd be, you know, you know, that old adage that says, 
if white America gets a cold, uh, uh, black America gets pneumonia. So black people were showing up at the, you know, at the, at the, the, at the, at the last resort of things. Um, and so anyway, the, the work group was tasked with, um, how do we, how do we, how are we equitable with the ventilators that we have? How do we ensure that, you know, if somebody black comes to the ER rather than somebody driving in their Porsche from Westport or Greenwich, um, uh, who, who gets it on the ventilators? How do we, how do we, how are we equitable about that? But they assembled folks, and I didn't even, I, I don't even know, maybe I did know this, I don't know, but they assembled doctors, all kinds of doctors across various spectrums who had a hand in um, working with people, treating people who were, um, who had COVID. So, you know, you had uh, anesthesiologists and you had cardiologists and you had neurology you had all these people and then you had um uh, uh the folks who the ethicist you had ethicist in the room is this ethical right and the the points that they raised i mean i i would i would have liked to have been an ethicist is this ethical you know um because the ethicists are the wrench throwers. <laughs> Be like, yeah, that's a good idea, but <laughs> should we? I don't know if we should be. Does that seem ethical to you? Should we be doing that? Should we? <laughs> the ethicist throws the wrench. And I would love to, when I was listening in on these conversations, I so enjoyed their perspective. And I could see other doctors were annoyed, but you need, but they understood that they need ethicists at the table in the room because science can run amok real fast. And history bears this out where people start to, you know, play God and all this other kind of stuff. And the ethicists roll, they just, they just put it on the table for contemplation and discernment in a way that um, ministers can't do. If you if you could understand that, you know, because they're not they're not coming from a theological point of view. They're coming from a science point of view. And should we be doing this just because science leads us down a path doesn't mean we don't have we we don't have the ability to pump the brakes. You know, so I I was fascinated by the ethicists at in the, on the on the on the Zoom because they just were the wrench throwers. I was just I was wholly fascinated by that, you know. And I and they and they would just pipe in. They didn't give a damn. They was like, you could hate us or love us or whatever, but this is what I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> and you could see you could see doctors sighing and rolling their eyes. But those same doctors that were sighing and rolling their eyes and sucking their teeth and whatever the hell else to show annoyance, they understood, here's the, here's the juicy part. They understood that they needed these ethicists in the room because ethicists pump the brakes and give you, and they throw out uh, con 
uh, uh, discernment and uh, contemplation. I was fascinated by that. I really was. I was like, how did you, how do you get to be that? <laughs> like, how do you, how do you get to sort of say, you know, and, and I, and I guess I would imagine there are people who would say ethicists, you know, can put the brakes on, on, on where we can go and develop things that could save lives. You know, even if we lose lives, we're going to save some lives. And ethicists is like, no. <laughs> That's not that's not what we're gonna do. Imagine if that that cat who took those billionaire people down under the ocean. Imagine if he on his team he had an ethicist to sort of say, "Listen, I know you want to build this thing. I know you want to do this thing. I know you hype to go down to the Titanic and take people on tours. But how about you know we you got to do this the right way. You can't cut corners and you can't be." because you want it so desperately and so badly that you're willing to do anything and risk your life and the lives of other people just to prove a point that I can do this. Imagine if there was an ethicist in the room, you know, that says, bark, bark, pump the brakes. You know, I, I, if I'm a corporation, I would, I would imagine they would hire, uh, if I, if I, if I was a, uh, uh, owned a gazillion if i'm elon musk i would hire an ethicist on my team to just keep me whatever but you know he comes from you know people who don't care you know you talk about white supremacists they see the elon musk of the world they are the acceptable white white supremacists you know his father had emerald mines during apartheid and and was not on the side of disbanding apartheid. So imagine that legacy in your DNA. Like imagine that. So you could say people could say he's a genius, whatever the hell. I, what is genius? I, I dare say he's genius because he got a lot of money. He could do what the hell he wants. I don't know if that makes you genius. That just makes you. I got a lot of money. I could do what the hell I want. You know. I, I don't know. Maybe they. Maybe he does a lot of good in the world with some of that money. I don't know. Who am I? Who am I to say? I don't know. I don't run in that circle. I just know this. Imagine if there's an ethicist at the table in some of these corporations. You know, particularly these food corporations and these these now they want. You know, they got these these lab created meat. Where's the ethicist in that? And I get it. And people are like, well, you know what? And the people who create this stuff will say, well, we're not killing animals. We're going to cut down on killing animals. But I, I dare say, you put that lab-created meat out there, and I'm telling you, in 20 years, somebody's going to be doing a dissertation on how we got to become humans that don't have any um, um, blood or... <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> I've got to take a break. <laughs> I'll be right back. 10.15. Hi, this is Babs Rawls-Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. You don't never need help from nobody else. All you got to do now. 
I'm Southern Connecticut basketball coach Scott Burrell, born right here in New Haven. I won an NBA championship with the Chicago Bulls, so I know a great defense is a game changer. That's why I support New Haven's Health Department's Take a Shot campaign to help defend teens against meningitis. Whatever your post-high school life is, take a shot now and help keep yourself, your friends, and your family safe and healthy. For more information, visit nhbbax.org. While COVID may not stop a baby's heart, isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhbvax.org.
Baz Rose Ivy had to go give me some ice water. Oh, I needed that. I smoked the cigars last night, so I got like that 
cigar voice, right? Deep. It's all right. Good. I don't even know what I was talking about the last hour. I'm trying to turn around. I can't turn around. I got all these screens. Oh, you know, live radio is live radio. It's fun. But it's challenging when people are looking at you do live radio. Don't worry, we're on the street to be back at some point. Don't you worry. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, I don't even know what I was talking about when I left because I was so focused on getting some ice water. <laughs> I was so I was so focused on getting ice water. I just like, I just need some ice water. And it's not even as cold as I want, even though I put ice in it. Sometimes you have to put put the ice in it and then let it sit for a little bit and let it like, you know, chill the whole thing. And uh, yeah, you got to do that. So uh, I think it's going to be a rainy weekend, which I think I need. Because, you know, I'm one of these people, if it's a nice day, I cannot stay in the house. Are you like that too? I'm like that. If it's a nice day, I want to be in the streets, even though I have stuff to do, even though I have commitments. If it's a if it's a rainy day, you know, I might go one errand, but I'll be back. You know, so rainy days always just give me license to like be in. And I don't mind being outside on a rainy day either. So there's that part. Ife is having her family reunion on Saturday. So I hope it, it doesn't rain so they can have a good time. But where they're going, even if it rains, there's stuff to do inside. So uh, I, I admire uh, her family reunion, people who have family reunions. My friend Ron Thomas, they have a big family reunion too. And it spreads over like several states. That's how big theirs is. And uh, uh, my, my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, she um her family they have a big one too down south um my family was we 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 always had cookouts and stuff but we never had formal um uh family reunions and i think it's because we didn't really like each other that much and uh i loved them but um my mother and her family they were just close-knit anyway and uh and so they didn't really rock with their cousins like that you know, the way that I rock with my cousins, my cousins were my friends, right? Um, and we're in a family chat, group chat now because they live all different parts of the country, my cousins. Uh, on my mother's side, I don't know much about my father's people. They just was trifling people. And uh, and I just, I you know, I didn't, I never spent that much time with them. I always find them to be troublesome and uh, just troublesome. So I, I never... I never got to spend any time. I spent time with them, but not a whole lot of time. Like I was never close to them the way I am close to my mother's side of the family. You know, because my father's side of the family, it was just, it was just wild and unruly. As as memory serves me. <laughs> as memory serves me. And uh and they've got they've got proclivities for things that I just don't have an appetite for. And I hope I never do. Um, and so I, I, I never spent that much time with them. Uh, seriously. So, um, 
So I'm always, um, I always admire people that can gather their family. I think the last time we gathered was my Aunt Betty's funeral. That was the last time we gathered. Um, and then some, some of us, most of us gathered for my, my nephew's passing. Um, my nephew Duda, who still hurts to this day that he is not, we are not in the same realm of consciousness and being together. So he is missed so much. And, I, and if it's hard for me, I know it's hard for my brother because that was his son. And I watched him raise that boy. And uh, uh, yeah, so anyway, family reunions are a good thing if you can gather your people even though it's stressful and it's like planning a wedding, you know, people are crazy. Once you get there and you see everybody and you hear stories and people reveal things and tell you things, um, you know, cause it always happens. Somebody reveals something or tells something or shares something, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So uh, to all the family reunions that are happening this weekend, peace and blessings, folks. And that's a wonderful thing because this life ain't promised to us, let me tell you. And, and we, we get examples of that every single day, how this life is not, is not promised to us. And, uh, and we have to make as many good choices as we can while we can because we will find ourselves on our last breath saying, damn it, I wish. <laughs> oh, oh, how I wish I could, whatever. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to get on my deathbed. I want a good-ass cheese pizza with all the things on it. I mean, if I'm going to die, I might as well. And, and a strawberry milkshake. <laughs> All the things that I couldn't eat on this side of the world, on this side of life, I'm going to go to the next life eating. Uh, not everything, but a lot of things. You know, that's, that's all. So it's summer. It's, uh, it's, I think it's going to be another nice day today. Hot. I think it's like it's already 81 degrees and it's only 10 no, it's not even 10.30. So it's already 80 degrees outside, which is nice. I kind of like it. Uh, I have to go see the cardiologist when I get off air. And, uh, you know, my cardiologist likes to fat shame, but I lost a little weight. So maybe that'll shut his ass up today. And he won't, he'll, he won't say, stop eating or push away from the table or I think I think I've lost enough weight from the last time I was there. So he'll he'll be pleased about that. And we'll see how it all goes. You know. And then that's it. I, I had to go buy the paper. Uh I gotta do a few things. Um let's see. Oh uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta call them back. Uh I'll go do that and then uh, go grocery shopping. Ife and I are going to go over to uh, Noor Vintage 
I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go get some groceries. And then I'm gonna go to RJ Jr. this evening and hear Victoria Christopher Murray and her uh, co-author talk about this new book, The First First Ladies. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And then that'll be my night. And then I, and then to Thursday, I have a meeting on Thursday. I have a bunch of meetings. I've got a bunch of meetings. I'm already tired. I guess, you know, I'm not tired. I just don't like meetings. But that's all right. They're to my, to my, my benefit, I guess. And then it'll be the weekend. Happy birthday, Harry. Your birthday is Saturday. Do you have plans? What are we doing? What are we doing, Harry? Are we doing anything? Are we having a party? Are we making cake? What are we doing? Coquitos? What are we doing? Harry's birthday is Saturday. I know he probably thought I didn't know. It's Saturday. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the 15th. So I know he's trying to act like he don't hear me. Oh, he's probably over there talking to, to the to the Lavos people. His birthday is Saturday, and if anybody in that office is listening in, Harry's birthday is Saturday. I should just put it in the in the uh, WNHH chat. And say Harry's birthday is Saturday. <laughs> I'm just saying. So I don't know what he's up to. He's got a, you know, he's he's done so much. He's got a new knee. So that means he can he might be able to do a little bit of an electric slide. Get into that, a little salsa dancing. You know. Bring Karen in town during the week. And y'all could uh go to Alicia's uh salsa class. Cause I'm sure you don't need a class, but it's a full-on party. I think on Wednesdays in the in Westville. That would be nice. You know, so I, I'm just not sweating anything. I'm just, I have to make a decision whether or not I'm going to Maine because they called. I was like, oh shoot, I got to make some decisions if I'm going. I don't know. I mean, I can do my show from Maine. It's not a problem. But I don't have a laptop, and I, they've not called me to tell me if my laptop is ready. I'm gonna give them a few more. I'm gonna give them another day, and then I'm gonna call them, call them up, and say, uh, "What's happening? What's happening with my laptop?" I see, you know, because I I need to, I need my laptop. I gotta study. I got work to do. That's what reminds me. I I. I got to study from my desktop and I got to study from my desktop and my office. It's a pain. Oh my God. It's a pain. Cause I, you know, my, my laptop is like carry and go. You could, I could be anywhere. My desktop. Well, it's tied to a desk, this one. And the one over there at the, at the, at the office. So I got, I got to figure that out. So we'll see. Uh, let me see what else is going on in the world. I see, uh, um, uh, the NATO summit is happening and the Ukraine uh, president, the Ukrainian president, uh, Zelensky, is that it? Uh, 
you know, he's softening his tone a little bit about getting into the into NATO. Because, you know, I did that whole reading of, of how NATO was started, who's in it, you know. And and they, they've been trying to get into NATO since 20, 2010, I think. Um, them in another country. And uh and and they <laughs> and the pushback has been we got you, we, you get in, don't worry, just you know, it takes some time. There's no there's no timeline for these things. Like, you know, just essentially just like stonewalling and gaslighting, right? Um, because I think honestly, somebody saw the writing on the wall about Putin and, and what he was trying to do particularly with a, uh, a country like, the, the, particularly the countries that he's already marched down and want to march on. Because Poland, don't you think for one moment that he's not trying to march on you too, but Ukraine has given them such a hard time. And, uh, and I, I really think that Putin thought the world would just fall off from being concerned about Ukraine. You know, because, you know, the world's attention span is is like a nanosecond. And so I really think he thought, I mean, I think after he initially thought, I think he underestimated the fighting power and fighting spirit of the Ukraine people. That's number one. I think he underestimated uh, the president and, and his fierceness and his leadership. And I think um, Putin just got in over his head. And I still think he's in over his head because you're fighting a war that you can't afford and that you're not winning. So, you know, he's not, and, and the world has tried to give him an off-ramp and he just kept blowing past it. So I don't, I don't know what the off-ramp is. I don't know. I mean, does he get so incensed that he, says, I'm, a, I'm just going to go nuclear on these people, you know, because what, what, you know, to, you, to pull your people and now your mercenary cats and your mercenary cats are your frontline cats, right? Because your military ain't strong enough. So you gotta, you gotta pay for these mercenaries to come in and, and fill in. Uh, uh, and since they turned on you, what, what does that say? So that says to me, there's some vulnerability abilities i'm no diplomat i'm just a, a a little old black lady sitting at home watching stuff play out across news cycles but from where i sit you know you're gonna have to just suck it up and pull out because you can't you're not gonna be able to keep this up and guess what those mercenaries that you paid somebody else paid them more to march on Moscow. And the fact that they didn't march on Moscow says to me that the people that funded them said, hey, don't go that far. Don't go that far. Because mercenaries work for, mercenaries don't work for their own good. They're not like, oh, I'm gonna put my own money in this and march. Hell no, they, they work for people. And there's a lot of people that have an invested interest in, in, in Russia, you know, getting out of this foolishness. And and Putin's got to be thinking, my damn days are numbered. 
my days he got i hope he's thinking that way he'd be a fool if he didn't think that way like any minute now somebody gonna roll up in here and strong arm me out because you can't sit in power forever so the rest of the world is worried about that that piece right because uh, well some of the world the, the the people that are paying him they already know who they want in power the, not him the people that are paying the mercenaries they already know who they want in power i'm convinced they already know who they want in power and putin is on putin i don't know if anybody in russia is listening to me but i'm telling you you on your way out sir and if i were you i would i would figure out a strategy to buy you some time to get out of this war because if i mean if you still want to be the leader you got you got to pull pull out of this because your mercenaries have already turned on you they've already turned And you don't got no more mercenaries that you could pay to go kill those mercenaries. I know there's no honor amongst thieves. I get that. But I don't know what mercenaries you're going to pay when you're when you're tried and true mercenaries then turned on you. And these are the these are your people. These are the ones you you have great faith in. They get the jobs done wherever you send them. They get it done. But who are you going to pay to go get them? I, you can't. And who's to say that the guy who's leading the mercenaries didn't already say, listen, I got you. I got some money. You got some money. We'll pay you. To come on our side. But, you know, we ain't seen that cat in a month. So I don't know. Some say he's in St. Petersburg. Some say he's, you know, I don't know. He could be in the south of France for all I know. Sunny at Con. I don't know. I do know when people disappear from Russia, they disappear for real. So I don't know. I'm just saying. These are just this is just where I sit. This is diplomacy from where I sit. <laughs> so if I'm you, Putin, I'd be like, I gotta buy some time because they're coming for me. And they are, and that's the writing on the wall. I never thought they was gonna march on Moscow. I don't care what I don't care what the news people say. Oh, they just got a hundred miles away from Moscow and then they stopped. He called it all. Ah, I don't I I always thought that was just a clear message. The next time we not stopping. And they could say, oh, they could show all the little videos they want of a meeting between Putin and this cat from a month ago. Whatever. Whatever. I know they they like propaganda, they like all that stuff. And and God help the Russian people. They are just, I, is it is it my Western eyes? Are they just that gullible? Like they just, they're like Trump people. Like they just, they go for <laughs> what is told for them and just swallow it. Is that true? So I don't, I don't know. Cause I never, I see the, every time I see the resistance in Russia, they always are, are, are killed. You know, they don't have no problems killing their own people. They just kill people. Journalists, journalists and, and their own people. And I, I would ask the question, how long can you keep that up? I mean, it's been working for them forever and ever and ever. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a it's not a big deterrent as they like people to believe it is, because every so often you get a journalist or somebody who pops up and speaks out or whatever, or who wants to run against, because courage. Uh, uh, feeds on, thrives on, on somebody oppressing you. 
So you rise up, no matter the cost, no matter the time, no matter the hour, you rise up because you can't stand the treatment of your people any longer. And so you say, if I got to lose my life, whatever, they're going to talk about this for a minute and then they'll shut it down, but there'll be more after me, more and more people after me who will want to, who want some freedom. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, 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 I just think the writing is on the wall. And so all these people meeting up at the NATO summit, having these conversations, and I get, they can't have Ukraine come in now while they're in war because then they'd have to get involved because, you know, it's the three musketeer code, all for one, one for all. So if one get in, if you part of us, uh, if you part of us, then um, we gotta, we gotta have your back. And so when they have your back, uh, they, they can't do it while they're in the midst of a war, right? Because now everybody got to get involved. I mean, you're already involved, which is ridiculous to me. You are, you're already fighting this war. You're already fighting it. And please don't tell me. I know there's some American citizens and some other army cats on and, and other countries, military people on the ground helping. They got to be, has to be. Too much is at, at, at stake not to help them. You know, they got to be trained how to use all this stuff that we, uh, the world is sending them. The stuff we send, the stuff other people send. They got to send people in to train them on that stuff. You know, you don't send it like an Ikea box all wrapped up and, and the instructions. <laughs> oh, here's how you put it. Here's how you, you need an Allen wrench to put this tank together. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. You got to send some cats over there that can train. And if they're military people already, like, you know, and I know Ukraine pulled together some cats, men who just want to fight, but they still got to be trained. They got to be trained. And they got to be trained how to use the equipment and, and, the, and, the, and the, all the, the firearms and the, all the stuff. So I know people are on the ground over there. You know, it, it makes sense. <sighs> the world is messed up. You know, it's just... We're just in a crazy place, but I, but I believe we were built for this moment. Each and every one of us that is alive, we were meant to be alive in this moment. And so I have every faith that there are people who will prevail in working for peace. I believe that. I don't know what else to believe. If I don't believe that, I, I believe nothing. I, I, if I don't believe that, I believe nothing. So there are people who are working for peace and broker trying to broker peace. And I and I and I'm sure there are forces that are in Putin's ear talking about a strategy of how to get out of Ukraine. I'm sure. Now he's got to be in public saying, fight, fight, fight. We gotta just fight to the death and fight, fight. But I'm sure in the high-level meetings, okay, how we get out of this? How do we, how do we, how do we pull out, save face, and still look like we won? <laughs> How do we how do we come out of this looking like we won? Because that's all that matters at this point. How do we come out of this looking like we won? And if we could get if we could get uh, Ukraine to give up some part of Ukraine, now the president has already said hell to the no. 
I'm not giving you no piece of land because the Ukrainian people will never feel comfortable being occupied by Russia. We just won't feel comfortable. So we're not conceding any bit of land to y'all, not an inch, not a mile, not a foot, right? So I get it. So so, so that, that might be off the table because that could have been the saving grace right there, right? Like, well, if they, if they, if they agree to give us some part of Ukraine as back to us, we'll, we'll, we'll march out and we say we won. <laughs> but the Ukraine people were like, hell no, I don't care. You ain't won. No, we're not giving you no land. We're not Crimea. We're not doing that. <laughs> You're not going to march on us. We're going to fight you. <laughs> Little old ladies and grandmas, we're going to fight you. We're going to feed you and we're going to fight you. I don't even know what the hell they are doing. So so, so there's got to be another strategic option that says the same thing, that yes, we won and we're pulling out. There's got to be another option. I don't know what that is because I'm not diplomatic friendly like that. I don't, I don't know what, what could be another option, you know, that says, listen, we won, but everybody in the world knows they didn't win and is not winning, but what can you, what can you do? So, so I'm sure all the dip diplomats around the world are working diligently on this. I know the, the, uh, the Russian diplomat to the United States, I think, didn't he like, uh, leave in a huff? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if you want to do that, bro. You need some support. I know you got to pull, I know you got to pull, carry the party line. I know. But y'all, y'all in the, Russia's in a bad place. And while they have some allies, you know, the other dictators of the world, they're not going to make a move. They're not going to make a move because they don't want the world wrath. China, they don't want that, they don't want the world's wrath on them. India. You know, India don't even want to join NATO because it's like, it was not in our best interest. Why ain't it? So you'd rather just be in the world on your own? So I don't know how much help they could be to Russia. You know, and I'm sure they are secretly sending money and, and ammunition and all the other stuff too. I'm sure they're doing that too, backdooring it, you know. And covered wagons and stuff. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. But they're not going to publicly be like, we stand with Russia. They're not going to, who's going to do that? Nobody. Because they don't want that smoke from the US, the UK, and everybody else. You know, so, and listen. Second to us, Turkey got the biggest army, so the biggest military. Second to us. So you don't even want to get on Turkey bad side. So I'm just like, hey. So I'm sure somebody somewhere sitting in the room trying to figure out an exit strategy. And the exit strategies could simply mean Another distraction somewhere else in the world so that Russia could quietly pull out. 
You know what I mean? That because that, that would make sense too. And then he could just tell his own people we won. Because they're not going to question it. Because there's no questioning in their country. So he can say whatever he wants and everybody will be like, okay. And then go about their business. So if you could find another diversion in the world that's comparable to this foolishness in Russia and Ukraine, then Russia could pull out. And then they could just save face with their people saying, well, we won and we're bringing our, 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 our armies and military home. And then they're not, what are they going to do? They're not going to question that. They're not going to ask, well, what did we win? Are you kidding me? They're not going to ask that question. So there's that part. So, so what else in the world could happen that could make us turn our attention from Russia and Ukraine that could get Russia to pull out and save face with their people could say we won to their people and, and not really care that the world sees them as not winning. You know, what? I mean, right now, Sudan is having a, is it a civil war? Is it another civil war? They're fighting. I, and isn't aren't they in a drought situation and a famine situation? How are you fighting with no food and water? But okay, whatever. I'm like, just sit there and wait a few minutes. Everybody will be dead. What are you doing? <sighs> These dictators, man. Dictators. Everybody wants to be a dictator. Everybody want to grind their own people to the ground. For what? <laughs> for what why for some crazy idiotic mission of oh i don't even know what 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 do the fighting factions want in the sudan what do they want what do you want you want you want you want a big car you want you want a, a big you want uh, weapons what do you want are you trying to feed your people? Are you trying to make better lives for you? No, you're just killing each other. For what? So that the colonizers will bring their asses right back and take over your whole country. I just don't know. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more back for thinking, time for moving ahead. Oh, because I just, the world, the world, the world. And meanwhile, <laughs> back here in the good old US of A, have we had another gun shooting lately? I see the Manson, one of the Manson people is uh, out, out, is getting out. She got to live in a halfway house. A, a detention center for a year and she'll be a free woman. She spent what 53, 54 years behind in prison. I thought she was gonna spend her life there. That's a tough one because the, there are family members that are still alive. And in 1994, Diane Sawyer interviewed, had an interview with her, you know, and she she talked about you know her role in the in the murders. You know, and Charles Manson is dead, so but there's still crazies that are loyal to that kind of foolishness, you know. 
But so she's going to get out and then, and then she got to get a job. She was like 19 years old. Gosh, I don't even know. I don't even know how hard it was. I, I can't even imagine, you know, I don't even know what that's like. And, and if she'll ever be able to get a job and I'm sure. I don't, I don't have any, I, I personally don't think they should have never gotten out of prison, but that's just me. But she's remorse. She was remorseful. And, and so I, if the prison system says this is what is required, then she served her time, then she should, she should get out. But I, I feel for the family too, because their, their loved ones that were murdered ain't getting out of the grave. There's no getting out of the grave for those people. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no getting out of the grave. So, so it's a hard thing. I, I'm glad I'm not on, I'm glad I'm not in the midst of any of that because it would be just painful to, 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 to have to deal with that. And, and for 50 some odd years, they rest assured that this woman was in prison and now she's about to get out. And so I don't, I, I can't imagine the anxiety that, that must cause them. So anyway, tomorrow's Wednesday. I'll be back. Y'all have a good day. Have a good time. Enjoy Wednesday, taking some sun, sunblock, drink some water, and don't be stupid out there. <laughs>